With a career spanning over 50 years, French electronic music pioneer Jean-Michel Jarre has played all over the world and sold an estimated 80 million albums. He has broken his own Guinness Book record three times for what is still the largest outdoor concert attendance ever. Three and a half million people in Paris in 1997. You have probably heard music from any number of Jean-Michel's seminal albums, Oxygene, Equinox, Zulook, plus his two more recent Electronica collaborations featuring guest artists as diverse as John Carpenter, The Orb, The Pet Shop Boys, and M83. Besides composing music and touring, Jean-Michel possesses a passion for painting, science fiction, and movies. These are the outside interests that we spoke about for the second episode of Side Jams, which was conducted in the rooftop bar atop the Knickerbocker Hotel in Times Square in New York City. We had the place all to ourselves except for one bartender who was getting ready for the day. As Jean-Michel enjoyed a spot of tea, we engaged in a very animated conversation about all of these topics. So let's dive right in. This is Brian Reisman doing a new episode of the podcast Side Jams here with French electronic music legend and man who never ages, Jean-Michel Jarre. Thank you. Promoting his new album, Equinox Infinity, yeah, actually, which right. is a sequel. As opposed to the Oxygen Three, which was a trequel, was the uh, that was the yeah. Third I mean, one. It's, it's not exactly a sequel. It's more. I would say it's more like a, the f- the first Equinox on steroids. It's, a, it's a, like a, more a reboot, as we would say in the movie industry, than than a sequel. I, I started from the uh, this idea of the of the cover of the uh, right. of the album, and I was always curious because this fantastic cover of the vinyl era with uh, these watches. Uh, what, what happened to these creatures and uh, so I built this album really like a scenario for what happened to them and they are for me symbolizing the evolution of, of technology yeah. the fact that technology is watching us and then I, I, I conceived this album with two different covers one symbolizing the future more peaceful and green and the other one more dystopian more apocalyptic right. and uh, trying to create a soundtrack were able, being able to work for both possibilities well, and there's also a big visual element to all of these things, too. And, and the album has a definite sci-fi vibe. I think one, one critic actually, has a, one of the vocals sort of has a fifth element kind of quality. And I think a little bit of Blade Runner, sort of at the beginning, and then uh, the third track also, which I, which I like a lot. And I mean, you're, you're a big sci-fi fan. I love sci-fi. I right. love everything linked to space also. Yeah. I lived really the beginning of my career as a musician uh, in the 70s as a... Um, uh, period where we had this kind of uh, greed and appetite for the future, vision for the future, kind yeah. of Romanesque approach to the future. That after year 2000, cars would fly and, and, and so on. <laughs> and then uh, uh, after year 2000, suddenly it was like if suddenly our view of the future were, was shrinking. Yeah. And uh, if we were actually losing this kind of uh, vision to, to the future. And it just came back maybe a few years ago with. Uh, some people such as Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos thinking about SpaceX colonizing moon again or yeah. exploring Mars. And of course, sci-fi always interested me and I've been a, a, a very close friend to Arthur C. Clarke, the author of 2001 Space right. Odyssey. So this is, this is something that is, of course, linked to my work, but also for, for pleasure and something I, I really like to explore. Now, from what I understand, you know, you were influenced by 2001 in some of your early music. And then yeah. when he wrote 2010, he was influenced by listening to your music. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know that. This is a great, which is a great turnaround. I mean, what, yeah. are there any particular books that he wrote that you really are, are fond of? Actually, uh, I, I, I love the, um, the sequel of 2001. And he, I remember when, when he, the first time I've, when I discovered that I was in the acknowledgments of the second, the sequel of 2001, 
I wrote a, a letter to him, and uh, and then it was before, just before the internet. Yeah. And and then he answered me by giving me his planning, his schedule f until 2001. <laughs> it was in the uh, late 80s. <laughs> and and then where also he would uh, he would he would give me the 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 kind of books and projects he has. So I mean, I I really love the 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 old world of Arthur C. Clarke. I would, apart from the, these books, I would. I think I would say all of them. So Arthur C. Clarke gives you his schedule to 2001. Did he follow it? More or less, yeah. <laughs> this is all the projects he wanted more to do? More or less, right? yes, more or less, yeah. And he said that he would uh, create 2001, I think it's a, one right. of the latest books he did, at more or less at the, same, at the right period. It was, it was quite amazing. There's an author I like from England called John Brunner, who did yes. a lot of interesting books, Shockwave Rider, I think that yes. won the Hugo. Yes, that's right. And yeah. in the late 60s, and I just read a book of his called Double Double, I love, I love. I'm reading some of his late '60s stuff because I love hearing about all this psychedelic, like psychedelic era mixed in with sci-fi. Like, to me, that's actually reading books like that and the, and the like, original printings or watching older films like sci-fi films. Films to me, that's like time travel. Yeah, because exactly. you're going back in time, and you're especially the lower budget films where they couldn't afford big production values. You're seeing things as they were. Exactly, and you know, recently you have uh, uh, this great movie called uh, Moon by uh, Duncan Jones. The, yeah. David Bowie's uh, son. Yes, and and it's very interesting to to think about the this idea that um, uh, it's a quite a dystopian future situation where uh, one guy is in uh, on the moon and uh, surrounded by machines, and uh, then uh, we discover that maybe he's not a real human. Yeah, and this is very premonitory about uh, the future of artificial intelligence, where we could think about a future where it would be more and more difficult to separate man and machine. Yeah. And uh, this is not only a sci-fi vision, it could be real. Actually, having said that, I realized that lots of sci-fi visions and sci-fi ideas became true later on. Yeah. And it's interesting, talking about Arthur C. Clarke, that actually inf he influenced NASA, mm -hmm. he influenced the, even the, the, the old... Um, Uh, mission on the uh, on the moon that uh, lots of uh, equipment or that have been influenced by the vision of Arthur C. Clarke oh, yeah. so it's quite interesting to see this kind of go between fiction and science well they, they basically have an iPad in 2000 right. when you're watching Ex the film exactly. I was like hey I, I saw it twice this year I hadn't seen it in about 10 years it's my favorite film and I saw it they had the, 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 the quote unquote non-restoration which was like showing it digital, digitally but it's like a print it was taken from a film print yeah. and it had the real changes and little scratches and everything like that Christopher, Christopher Nolan wanted to make sure it was you could experience it the way people did back in the 60s and then I saw it live with the New York Philharmonic performing the score yeah. which was insane because they had the chorus on both sides of the audience in the, in the first balcony and just to hear that and experience that with a huge yeah, screen was, yeah, was amazing fantastic yeah your music and, and especially both the Equinox albums are dealing with our, our love of and dependence upon technology uh, and you yourself I mean you're a human being controlling machines and of course it's been said to me I interviewed uh, this Israeli historian named Yuval Noah Harari who has written uh, Sapiens and Homo Deus and he's talks about sort of the evolution of man and how in a way we made certain things certain flora and fauna obsolete but now we're in threat of the danger of making ourselves obsolete with artificial intelligence you know and he made a point about cell phones smartphones he goes you know he doesn't use a smartphone he said you're controlling the smartphone or is it controlling you of course exactly <laughs> this is the one of the I'm a big fan of his books and uh, where well, maybe I would not necessarily agree is the fact that uh, we have always this kind of uh, pessimistic view of the future 
yeah. our grandparents, our parents, ourselves, we all have this tendency to say, yesterday was better, tomorrow will be worse. Yeah. Which is not absolutely not true because we should not never forget that two centuries ago, our expectation of life was maybe 40 years old. Uh, we could die of a cold or a flu because of we had no antibiotics. And 90% of the planet was starving. So I'm not saying that we are living in a perfect world by, by far, but actually it's much better than two centuries ago. And there is no reason why the emergence of artificial intelligence will, will be necessarily something bad. Right, right. And we have this pessimistic uh, uh, relationship with future because actually it's the, it's the human being DNA. Yeah. I mean, because we know in our flesh that sooner or later we won't be part of that future. Yeah. By, uh, it's obvious. And, and, and then I think this is the reason why I think that, we, for instance, for artificial, when you are talking about artificial intelligence, in 10 years from now, we have to admit that probably AI would be a, an algorithm would be able to create some original music, original yeah. movies, original stories. And it's not necessarily bad news. We will have then to reposition ourselves like we are constantly doing towards technology by maybe if AI can help us um, to use the 90% of our brain what we are not using today, yeah, uh, that would be maybe a good news. Well, it's interesting. I mean, Steve Aoki is another person who's very positive about the future. I mean, he actually wants to, I think he wants to freeze himself when he's sort of near death, and then hopefully he'll, yeah. when they, have, they can prolong people's lives, so he'll, he'll be awoken. I mean, hopefully that wouldn't be like an Austin Powers. I love that Austin Powers, you know, when he wakes up, he's like, it's like, well, as long as people are still going around having promiscuous, unprotected sex with random partners, you know, I'll be fine. <laughs> it's like, yeah, nope, <laughs> that's not happening. I mean, it goes both ways. I mean, obviously, the more compelling visions of the future tend to be the darker ones. And I, I guess, in a way, if they're cautionary tales that we can learn from, that's great. I mean, your your music itself, I mean, the new Equinox, what's different about this is I think the original one was a bit more upbeat overall in tone. There's a, there's a percolating quality to a lot of the sequencing and the synths, and there's uh, an atmospheric quality to both that is similar. Um, Robots Don't Cry has a very, I like, I, like that, I like that kind of swinging vibe it has. You know, it's not jazz, but it, it yeah. kind of swings yeah. there. And but, you know, there's a bit more dark on this album, I think, but it still goes into the light, and your music has generally been like that. I think what I it, like this kind of uh, almost oxymoron between, between contradiction between happiness and sadness, or being sunny and dark. And I think that uh, also the idea of releasing this uh, project with two covers, Yeah. I mean, one more bright, peaceful, and the other one is will, will be dark, more darker, darker or dystopian. Right, it's right. part of what I like in like we like by the end of the day yeah. in any kind of uh, uh, creations in movies in paintings in, uh, in contemporary art in music we could, we could go together uh, in, a, in a studio and doing a dark song in two hours it's, yeah. very, it's very easy to be dark yeah. but I mean uh, and it, uh, it sells also I mean why I mean, well these the, the, days the, oh yeah, these days I mean, I mean news channels are, uh, are making their, their uh, are making a fortune by emphasizing bad news because good news don't sell as we know and it's much more difficult on a creative point of view to do something positive dynamic happy even not being cheesy and and it's the reason why that uh, it's interesting and th in this in this album I really try to to go in both directions yeah. having some brighter moments and some darker moments you know, I grew up in the 80s, and the 80s was actually a pretty optimistic time. Mm. I mean, there were a lot of problems, and we had a lot of problems in America, but yet still there was this, 
optimistic tone that's kind of disappeared since then. And exactly. I, I, I love dark stuff. I mean, I, I love. I'm, Me too. I'm, I'm, yes. I'm a closet course. goth. You know, I yeah. love. I love. I mean, 2001 is sort of half and half. There's a darkness to it, but it sort of seems to have. I mean, the monolith sort of seems to be spiriting along the human race in a way to its next evolution because we can't seem to kind of figure out what we're doing. Exactly. Um, you know, are there other science fiction films that you really like that, that either follow these themes or just in general oh, they've influenced of course, you? Of course. I mean, work? you know, we we've been in a. When I started electronic music, I mean, being, as some people say, a kind of pioneer in this field, I mean, what does it mean? Actually, before me, you had nobody. So it was a privilege to open doors on virgin territories and so on. Yeah. Uh, and my influences then went from movies and literature, yeah. sci-fi literature, but not only, and, and movies such as 2001. And then we, as you said very truly, the 80s was very positive, and then we lost that appetite for the future. It's very interesting that at the beginning of the 21st century to symbolize the future we were using Marvel heroes. Yeah. I mean from the 50s. I yeah. mean Batman and Superman are, are almost uh, I mean 80 years old. They are, they are very The Marvel stuff is old. newer but it, I guess we'll no, check. The first one. I was talking about oh, yeah, yeah. The, the beginning of the 21st century. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, I mean to symbolize the future yeah. we, we were using symbols of the past. Uh, heroes vintage. Yeah. And, and nowadays we are to answer to your questions. You have really movies such as, uh, of course, Interstellar. For me, Interstellar is the 2001 of the 21st century. Right, right. Ghost in the Shell. Very, very interesting. The anime. Movie. I mean, yes. the anime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even the first man recently. The Mars also. Gravity. I mean, you have lots of interesting movies gravity, yeah. dealing with uh, uh, with space and with uh, sci-fi again. Well, this, for me, what's interesting about gravity is I just viewed it as a metaphor. Some people are like, what's this about? I'm like, oh, it's, to me it was a metaphor about a woman who had been untethered because she lost her child and then she's kind of getting back to Earth. When they're doing the thing with, uh, with the uh, fire extinguisher, she's like, it, it, that wouldn't propel her anywhere. It would freeze. You'd just be stuck in space. But not everything can be like, scientifically yeah, accurate. Know, but I, I, I totally agree. Well, the difference between science and art, I mean, you don't, you don't need necessarily to be, to be true to be faithful to what's possible or not. Yeah. As long as you, you, are, you are saying something relevant uh, mean about the human, about human beings, of course we know that in some sci-fi movies you yeah. have lots of uh, irrealistic things. I mean, starting by the sound. You have no sound in space. Arthur, Arthur C. Clarke was saying, saying to me, you know, one day we'll do a, a concert on the moon. I, I told him that you know you know Arthur that it's not possible because you know, you don't have oxygen on on, on the moon. You don't have. <laughs> so he said yes, but you will find a way. But you know, it's still uh, that was the big difficulty when uh, I did this concert. Uh, I was preparing this concert in Houston. Yeah, because Ron McNair. Yeah, Ron McNair. Ron McNair was uh, was uh, about to play, as you know, in the weightlessness of space live with uh, during the concert from the challenger with, yes. us, with saxophone exactly and then before the tragedy and we worked we worked a lot about how to do it yeah. and we, we had some very silly problem like how to get out of the saliva of the uh, saliva of the instruments out in space so you had to have oh, wow uh, you, you had so, to have a special equipment to get the saliva out of the of the saxophone and things like this and also how to record this in space no. And uh, and I've always been I- impressed by the silence, by the idea of silence in space. And the only one who actually really thought about that for the in, during the soundtrack and the sound is, is Kubrick. Yeah, Stanley Kubrick, as you probably know, yeah. sent lots of different uh, seven different sound uh, engineers all over the world to record different kind of silence. 
to try to find the right silence for the right scene yeah. in space. What could it be? I like when science fiction films have sound, but like you might hear the sound from in, inside someone's battleship or like their yeah. space cruiser, whatever it is, inside a pod. And but you hear it from their their point of view inside as opposed to outside. Exactly. You know, it's kind of like when people are underwater. Well, the, the sounds you're going to hear generally they oftentimes emulate the sound of what is inside your wetsuit or your, exactly. your helmet rather than what's outside. Yeah. Because you wouldn't. It's a different experience. And you know, it's the reason why that uh, in uh, for the, for this um, experience with Ron McNair when of, of course. He died and he passed away in the, the, the crash of Challenger. Yeah. But then the, this piece I wrote uh, for for um, for him and called uh, Ron's piece, the last rendezvous in, in the rendezvous album. Yeah. Actually, before that, I, I I said okay, the the beat, the rhythm should be done by his own his own heartbeat, because oh, wow. because actually when you are in space, what you hear is your heartbeat. Yeah. yeah and and also apparently. The very high frequency of uh, coming from your brain, okay. the, the electricity of your brain is actually is a creating a kind of high frequency. So I, apparently you, 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 you listen to this and then I use that, I mean having very high kind of frequency that you, you have, yeah. that I put continuously over the track. And then the heartbeat, and of course, with the tragedy of Challenger, this whole, this, I mean this whole track with the heartbeat of the, of the astronaut, yeah. I mean created something else. In a kind of metaphor. Well, hopefully, at some point, you can do something like that again. I mean, it's uh, how much farther can you reach with music? You know, you've, you've played in huge, you played by the pyramids, you played to huge, huge concerts in Europe and yeah. in Houston. I mean, it's. I sort of joke with a lot of these superhero movies now. It's like sort of how many they have the ego of the living planet and the second Guardians of the Galaxy. But then beyond that, like how much bigger can you get in a movie? And I guess with music, we still have a chance to venture into other places and do yeah, that. Yeah, so it's very funny that in lots of of these movies, like even Ready Player One recently. Yeah. I mean, how how funny it is to they, they use a lot of music from the from the eighties, the early new wave type of tracks and all that. Yeah. It's quite quite fun because it's linked. To this naive, innocent idea of the future. Well, also like 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 the synthwave movement, which I love. You know, all the synthwave stuff coming out now. Yeah. I mean, there's a big influence from like Miami Vice, that kind of neon look. There's a lot of this '80s pastel colors, really bright, in a way very positive. And some of it kind of goes into sort of the cult movie and sort of the B movie area. But it's it's really interesting that that's all come back. It's, exactly. it's come back in, a, in sort of a new form. Yeah. Um, I mean, visuals are a big part of what you do, and and I mean, obviously the artwork is uh, Michelle Granger. Yes, that's right. He uh, he did some of your, your famous Oxygen yeah. and Equinox and yeah. some of the chronology. Yeah, Rendezvous also. Rendezvous, and so those are very enig- enigmatic covers. Yeah, and actually for the for the new one, I wanted to have a, a transposition into the the com- computer world, yeah. and then I found on Instagram a young, a very talented young artist in Czechy in Prague. Mm-hmm. I mean really very interesting guy and I asked him to uh, actually uh, take the watches and putting putting them in a different graphic context with uh, computer graphics yeah and this is the 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 idea of the covers of the, of the new it's Philippe Hodas that's right yeah, I, I found actually on my phone I was looking up some of his uh, stuff and he's also very sci-fi influenced ah, actually in his work I mean there's uh, he did this kind of you Pac-Man, uh, yeah Pac-Man, Star Wars there's Bender from Futurama that's right like this, and this you know it's because of this because of this one, I said, this is the guy I want really? to work with. I used to say that this is, uh, yeah, this is, it's a picture of like Bender's head, but it's like a statue head covered in moss by, the, by this stream. Yeah, that's right. And, and exactly. it's, it's kind of like what you'd expect to find like in a Star Wars movie on like some far off planet, like yeah, a lived in universe. It's exactly that, yeah. He's got Pac-Man, he's got 
So a lot of this stuff is very 80s, a little Blade Runner-ish. Yeah, but of course, yes. That's the cityscape here is kind of a little Blade Runner. And we had a fantastic collaboration by actually, uh, I, I explained him what, what I wanted to do to create. And uh, he's been really great, great and cool. Yeah, I like that stuff. And, and it ties in with what you do. And I understand that actually you have done some painting in yes, the past. Yes, yes, a lot. I even hesitated between painting and music at one stage. Really? Yeah. So what? So what? I was trying to look up some stuff. Like, what was it? What was your work like? Is it impressionistic uh, the way your music is, or is I, it different? I was really in 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 a, in a abstract world, in a, like with, with a lyric abstraction, like people from like Soulage in French, Hartung, Jackson Pollock, uh-huh. all these kind of uh, things. And I always thought that um, there is a strong link between abstract painting and electronic music. It's all about uh, cooking. All about uh, um, having a very tactile, sensual, organic approach to sounds or textures. Yeah. The same, the same approach. If you take uh, Jackson Pollock, the way he, he's dealing with, uh, with painting in a very, like, like cooking, yeah. you know, like putting spe- spices in a very organic, tactile way. And, uh, and the same when I, I do music and when as electronic musicians who are doing music who are cooking like, and, and loops and beats and textures and yeah. waveforms in a very sensual sexual way when do you do predominantly do your painting what like approximately which years what period of your career it was really when I was uh, uh, from 12 years old to 18 oh wow okay and, and then I was it was in times where, where I, I mean my, my, my parents split up when I was five and my, my we were living in a small apartment in the south part of Paris right right and uh, we so at a very early stage I was continuing my my music and my st- my studies at college and then university, but I, I was, um, I was um, uh, helping my mom, and actually I was doing this. And she had a um, kind of shop in at the flea market in Paris, okay. very famous flea market in Paris. And then uh, I was selling my paintings, but because I was quite quite young, like looking like a really child, a young child, I said that this. I was saying that this this paintings was made by my older brother. <laughs> and then I and then I, I, I saw quite a lot of paintings like this you know, at the flea market in Paris. So so do you, have you kept? I mean, do you, I'm assuming you kept your paintings from from back then. Yes, but I I, I sold a lot. So um, I mean, lots of them are somewhere. I'm I'm not uh, I'm not somebody uh, very good at keeping things, but uh, I still have a few. Yes, that my mom kept. Yeah, and you're also a film buff. Since we've been talking about science fiction, I understand you like to watch. As many as yes. almost one a day, if you can. If you can. exactly, I mean, I, I, I try to do that. It's really hard. How do you do that? <laughs> Actually, you know, I, I, I'm going to tell you uh, how I, I deal with this. I mean, because I'm, I'm working quite late at night. I'm quite a night night bird, and uh, yeah, so am I. Yeah. I stop. I stop for dinner, and then during dinner, I always watch one episode of things or one movie. And I mean, maybe I will. I will take the first half at dinner and the other, the other half the following day if it's yeah. a long movie I'm forcing myself almost to, uh, to keep going with uh, watching movies and also reading I, I try to read I'm always reading I'm always reading three books at the same time uh-huh. and, uh, and then it takes time but it's a good uh, if, I mean even if I go to bed at 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning I, I always leave 15-20 uh, minutes just before sleeping uh, reading at something I think it's for me, it's a kind of uh, like when you are diving deep and yeah. you have steps to go back to uh, the natural pressure. 
it's the same thing with movies and, 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 and books for me. You know, my problem is I think is retention. I'm, I'm kind of very ADD, so what, I, what I've noticed is sometimes I have to watch something a second time and then a lot more of the details seep in. I sort of watch it the first time and let it wash over me. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I totally agree with what you're saying. Because yeah. lots of people could think that it's quite, quite strange to, to watch movies twice. In lots of cases, it's allowing you to discover something else. And, it's, and then it's like the second or third time if you really love it. You're like, oh, yeah. Like, there's certain movies I watch repeatedly. And then as you get older, like I was watching part of Yellow Submarine again because I, I love, you know. And, and, exactly. And, and, and so you forgot things. Also. And there's little things in there. Or I, know, I love to absorb things. And sometimes you don't always realize that it influences you. I, I love horror and I'm trying to write some horror stuff. And I realize I just keep absorbing things. So sometimes it gets to the point where you collect a lot of stuff or you have an endless Netflix queue. And it's almost like you're never going to get there. It's like the journey, I guess. You're never going to watch everything you want to or read everything you want to. But, you know, it's, it's a very interesting point you're raising now because actually... This is the reason why that uh, I think that artists are keep keeping going on. This idea that uh, you are never really satisfied about what you're doing, and yeah. then you have you are dreaming about the perfect album or the perfect movie or the perfect book that you maybe will never achieve. But then it's like a soap; it's like a, something you are uh, you are running after, like a mirage. Yeah. And I think that that is also part of the almost I would say the DNA of a crea- any kind of creative process. This is the reason why I feel, for instance, with this album, like a beginner. And, and saying that I think that with this album, I, I maybe achieve one step or one part of what I want to achieve or what I want to share with people. It's almost like a perpetual midlife crisis. Exactly. It's exactly that. <laughs> very, very well put. So what movies lately have you loved that you love watching? Uh, uh, I, I saw um, Ready Player One. And why I, I loved I, I, I watched it is because... I'm working with um, a very interesting company at the moment in, in Los Angeles called the VR, uh, the Wave VR, and this is a collective, um, this is a team working on uh, creating VR world, and there is a, this great artist called Sutu, involved in the special effects for this pre- uh, movie, uh, and uh, he created an all uh, VR world around Equinox Infinity. I wanted to watch this movie and talking about. Uh, uh, the influences. This, this, it's a very good movie, but there is a brilliant scene. I don't know if you saw the yeah, the, movie. I've seen it. the this whole scene where he's recreating Shining from Kubrick. Yes, that was great. And that that's, was fun. That's a yeah. brilliant moment. You know, the one thing about that, and I was just say to people, spoiler alert. The one thing I, I wish that the story had done is at the end when you know when he finally gets to the he gets the keys and gets into the realm, and then the guy shows him the button and says, "Don't touch that because you'll undo this." And I was almost thinking, man. Press the button. Yes. Undo this entire world and let's see something new exactly. come out of this. I agree. Um, but you know, Spielberg would never do a, <laughs> such an ending. I don't think. I don't think. I don't think the writer was did it either in the book, as far as I know. Yeah. Are there any classic films that you, you've watched over more than once? Uh, yes, uh, of course. Uh, I mean, I would say that uh, Orson Welles for yeah. me is very, very. Uh, and uh, if we go only, we really on. Uh, Old movies, Metropolis from Fritz Lang, yeah. Metropolis, and The Woman on the Moon is not a quite unknown movie from Fritz Lang, very interesting, okay. and uh, and also um, all Italian movies from the the 60s, 70s, like Fellini movies, for mm-hmm. instance, for me has been a great source of inspiration, and uh, all um, Christopher Nolan, Tarantino movies, uh, all, and David Lynch also. Oh, yeah. I love people who are not telling you which ending to choose, like in 2001 Space Odyssey. I think you had a small role in a film from 1967. 
said boys and girls instead yes. of chanteur. So you were the singer. That's so right. So what, what was that? What was your what was that movie like? What was your role in that? <laughs> just, uh, just no, it was actually uh, we we were the band inside the, the movie, so it was not really playing. Right, right. It was not like an actor playing a, a role, but oh, more than that, yeah. a band in, inside the movie where, where I was ma- mainly doing what I was doing with my rock band at that, at that stage. At that stage. Was yeah. it a good movie? It was like, funny. It's like a funny early uh, 70s or late 60s movie. It was, it was fun for the, for the time. Oh, well, maybe at some point we'll see you scoring a new film. Because I know you've done some in the past. Yeah, and I always in- considered, as I told you last time, uh, that it was my father's territory. Uh, but nowadays, I would be very interested to uh, to be more involved in uh, soundtracks. Yes. Cool. Well, thank you very much. I, I wanted thank to you. chat with you about all this other stuff because I just figured, like, you know, interview people at your your main gig about music and everything like that. But it's all kind of interconnected in you. And, and yes, you. yes, and there's so many things uh, happening, and and, and uh, also in the 3D world and uh, and uh, VR world uh, linked to this to this project. So I've, uh, it's it's strange because I've been uh, I, I was thinking the other day that I I just released. Uh, Around five albums in three years, the t- last three years, which is a lot yeah. more than anybody, any, any other time. So uh, it's a rather positive phase creatively for me at the moment. So yeah, just saying, you know, at this point you can easily retire and just like that's you know, right, the, exactly, and travel to space. Yes, you go on the, mix, yes, on the exactly, Mars voyage, exactly, but then you exactly. might not come back. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the second episode of Side Jams. Please join me next time when my guest will be thrash metal and jazz guitarist Alex Skolnick. We wandered through the stacks of the Strand Bookstore in New York City while discussing his love of literature. In case you're wondering, the tunes used in this episode are from Fox and the Law, and I licensed them through AudioSocket. Thank you all for listening. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.